All right, everybody. Well, thank you for joining us both in person and online for our Wednesday night prayer and devotional service for Lakeview Baptist Church. Uh, delighted to have you all here and delighted for every single one of you that tunes in every week. Uh, you can open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And uh, as you're turning there, just to kind of give you an idea of what we're going to be doing tonight, I'm going to be in a couple different places of Scripture, uh, pulling cross-references from the rest of the Bible. But uh, that's going to be our, kind of our central text for tonight. So I'm just going to begin. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Uh, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes, For our sake, he, referring to God the Father, made him, referring to God the Son, Jesus Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so as you are aware, uh, right now we are in the month of October, which has some special significance in church history. October, for those of you who are unaware, is uh, considered Reformation Month. October is also Pastor Appreciation Month, so make sure you appreciate Pastor Cliff. Uh, but he's not here tonight, so we're not going to focus on that. Uh, October is considered Reformation Month uh, because on October 31st, 1517, was when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the castle church, uh, on the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. Luther held many concerns with both the theology and practice of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, many of these doctrines and practices continuing even to this day. But so Martin Luther nails his 95 theses uh, to the door of the Castle Church in, in Wittenberg, which the, the central door of the church served sort of like a messaging board. So it was not some kind of uh, crass or unusual protest room to do this. Essentially, it would be the same thing as you or I writing a Facebook post today. But uh, thanks to the invention of the printing press, uh, some of Luther's students and others who were um, listening to some of his teaching and some of the things he had to say, they actually took down his 95 theses and began printing them and reproducing them. Well, th they spread throughout Europe, and, uh, and this, is, this event on October 31st is considered to be the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. Well, what you need to understand about the Reformation, and uh, one of the key distinctions between Roman Catholic theology and the theology of the Reformers, such as Luther, is the Protestant doctrine of justification by faith alone. What that means is that sinful man is made right with God by means of faith alone in Christ Jesus. Luther himself said of this doctrine that it is the article upon which the church stands or falls. And something that is key or essential to understanding the doctrine of justification by faith alone is what theologians refer to as imputation. Now, imputation, to impute something, basically just means to charge something to an account uh, for instance, if I swipe my card at a store and I buy something that costs $50, a debt of minus $50 is charged or imputed to my account. If I go and I cash a $50 check, 
then a credit of plus $50 will be imputed to my account. So that's the basic meaning of the word imputation, which is a concept when used in the realm of salvation has really pertinent, dire consequences for your soul. I'm going to unpack how all of this works as we go. And so my prayer is that this would not just be a bunch of information that you receive uh, that has no real impact on you, but rather, by the grace of God, this truth would have the powerful, transformative impact on your heart that it should. And so the first thing that we really need to grab a hold of in our study of imputation, a matter which, once again, uh, pertains to your soul, pertains to eternity, is the reality which we should all be familiar with, and that is what has been commonly referred to by the Christian church as original sin. I don't want to spend a bulk of our time here, but the doctrine of original sin teaches that as a result of our father Adam's sin, as a penalty of the fall, all men and women receive a sin nature. Uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Paul goes on in that chapter to say, one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, and by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So what this tells us is that Adam's sin has been imputed to all human beings, and therefore all human beings are sinners and under the just condemnation of the Lord God Almighty. And so here's the issue. Uh, this is the problem. This is the unifying common predicament which all men and women find themselves in. We are sinful creatures. Our nature is depraved. Uh, let me just try and uh, paint a picture for you using uh, some other scriptures. I, I, f I first want us to recognize the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, who said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, uh, Jesus said, You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So uh, that's from the Sermon on the Mountain. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was teaching not only on morality, but on acceptance with God. And this verse explains that God's standard of morality uh, better than anything else. I'll start with the second part of that verse. Jesus says, your heavenly Father is perfect. Now this is not news to any of you, but God is completely flawless. There is no sin in him. There is no defect in him. God cannot sin. God is holy. And, and what that means is that God is completely separate from sin. So because of this, in relation to human beings, the standard that God has for us and how we should live uh, Jesus himself said, as your heavenly Father is perfect, you must be perfect. Now right now, I presume uh, some of you are getting a little bit nervous when I say that. That feeling of nervousness is not wrong. What Jesus is teaching in that verse is the fact that uh, because of the reality that God is perfect, he requires that you and I be perfect as well. That means in order for us to be in a right relationship with God, to be accepted by God, we need to be seen in his sight as being perfect. 
He needs to see us as having obeyed every single one of his commands, as having never committed any sins whatsoever, always doing everything in perfect accordance with his law, with absolutely no blemishes or failures whatsoever, dotting every I, crossing every T, no wrong thoughts, no wrong words, no wrong actions, every moment at every time with zero exceptions. Well, due to the fall and the sin nature that's been imputed to us from our father Adam, every single person who's ever lived, including me, everyone in this room, everyone listening online, has sinned. And yet our God, being holy, demands that we be holy. He demands absolute moral perfection from us. Well, then obviously no one meets his standards. If God were to mark iniquities, no man could stand. As you know, Romans uh, chapter 3, 20, verse 23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6 goes on to say, For the wages of sin is death. Therefore all of us, because of our sin, we fall short of God's standard, which is perfection, and are therefore under his just condemnation. And so this puts us in, in a sort of state of helplessness. Because we, our need is to be made absolutely, perfectly righteous, and yet none of us are. So how on earth can anyone be made right with God? How, can, how on earth can anyone be accepted by Him? When the only way that that can happen is if God sees us as being perfectly righteous. Well, here's the good news. And some of you are probably thinking, yeah, Logan, we know the story. We've heard it over and over again. Jesus died for my sins. God, it checked the box. Can we move on to something else? Can we move on to something that pertains to my life? Can we move on to something that pertains to my finances or my family? Can we get past the whole Jesus thing? Well, let me tell you something. The day that the gospel becomes boring to you is a day when you need to be afraid. And so I will continue with the good news. And, and good news is really such an understatement. I, I could try to find other words. Amazing, wonderful, marvelous. But, but really, there are no words to describe fully just how great this truth is and how much this truth affects you, how much this truth affects your life, affects the lives of your children, your, your family members, your friends, your coworkers, everyone that you meet on the street. The, the truth that I am speaking of is this, that God, holy God, who is perfect and demands that we be perfect as well, at the same time is unspeakably merciful, unspeakably gracious, unspeakably loving. Do you realize that? That the God who has created the universe and divided the sea by his might and splits open springs and brooks and has put the stars in the sky and who knitted you together in your mother's womb, do you realize that that same God is infinitely merciful, full of grace? And so he looks at helpless, depraved, evil, vile, wicked, disgusting, awful, horrible sinners like you and me, and he looks at us and he sees how we have rebelled against him and how we deserve his wrath, and yet the unsearchable, unspeakable mystery is this, that he looks at us, that he looks at these wretched creatures, and his desire is to show mercy upon us. I ask you again, 
Do you realize that? I hope you do. I, I, I really hope you do. Because this is just the most wonderful thing, the most staggering reality in all of existence. And so as the story goes, God has sent his son into the world so that, as you know, whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Uh, to give you a theological term, that is what we call the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Sola fide. That sinners are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Well, as I have said from the outset, as we reflect on the Protestant Reformation, as Martin Luther said, the doctrine of justification by faith alone is the article by which the church stands or falls. I would add to it that the truth of justification by faith alone is the article upon which you and I stand and fall. This is the most important truth. That sinners are to be reconciled with God through faith in Jesus Christ. You can get a thousand things right, but you get that wrong and you're in serious peril. So we know that whosoever believes in Jesus Christ will be seen by God as righteous. But I want us to dig a little bit deeper than that tonight uh, during this devotional time that we are sharing together because... Something that is very important to understand is that our faith in Christ is not the grounds of our righteousness. And now this might sound strange if you've never thought about this or if you've never heard this before, but having faith in Jesus Christ is not the basis of our righteousness. I'm choosing my words very carefully so as not to be misled or not to confuse anyone, but having faith in Jesus Christ is not a good thing that we do that earns us favor with God. If that were the case, that would make faith a work, and we would no longer be saved by grace, but saved by works. And you know that that can't be true. You know that we don't work our way into heaven, because as mentioned earlier, God demands perfection, and no amount of good deeds can make a sinner perfect. But then you may be thinking, if faith is not a good thing that we do that earns us favor with God. Well, how can you maintain that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone? So this is where the doctrine of imputation becomes so important. Because imputation is the reason why saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone works. Without imputation, none of that is possible. So I'm going to read to you again what I've said was tonight's signature text. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the Apostle Paul writes, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, for now, I just want to focus on the first part of that verse. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. Notice, the very first thing that we read in that verse are the words, for our sake. That just, that just goes to show you, once again, the, the infinite grace and love and mercy of God. Everything we read about here in 2 Corinthians 5.21 are things that God has done for our sake. He, he's done these things for the good of us. Things he did for me and you. Not because that we deserved any of it, but because God has chosen to do these things as an outpouring of his mercy. 
For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That verse uh, can be very confusing to people when they encounter it for the first time. So I'm hopefully going to try and make some sense of it for you. When it says, he made him, the he is the father, the him is the son. We are talking about the fathers having done something to the son. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. What this verse does not mean is that Jesus became sin in some sort of ontological sense. Nor does it mean that Jesus became sinful. As this verse says, Jesus knew no sin. So when it says the Father made Jesus to be sin, this is not saying that Jesus was sinful or that he became a sinner. But what it is saying is that Jesus was counted as or considered as sinful. Upon the cross, the sins of all those throughout human history whom God saved, those people's sins were laid upon Jesus. And God treated Jesus as though he had committed all of those various sins. Our sins were imputed to Christ. 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 24 says, He himself, referring to Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Perhaps most famously and most familiar to you, Isaiah 53, uh, verses 4 through 6 say, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. For those of us who are saved, we need to solemnly, that is seriously, remember the fact that Jesus Christ bore our sins on the cross, that that our sins were imputed to him. He was treated by God as though they were his. Jesus Christ suffered the wrath of God so that we could be forgiven of our sins. We need to recognize that. We need to know how the love of God is demonstrated in that. That God so loved the world, he crushed his only begotten son so that we could be forgiven of our iniquities. That Jesus Christ sacrificed himself, accursed by his beloved father, so that our sin debt would be wiped clean. How blessed are we that God is so merciful, so gracious, so loving. He was willing to do that for our sake. And yet, if this was where the story ended, we still would not be saved. And I know I sound like I'm contradicting myself, but allow me to explain. You remember the words of Jesus I quoted earlier, how he said that you and I must be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Well, forgiving us of our sins does not in and of itself make us perfect in God's sight. 
What it does is it puts us in a position of moral neutrality. But God does not demand moral neutrality. He demands moral perfection. Often when we are sharing the gospel, we might say something like, Jesus died so that if you believe in him, you can be forgiven of your sins. Which is not wrong. Obviously, that is correct. We should be telling people that. But what we might not realize is that that is only half of the story. That's only one side of the coin. God demands moral perfection. And to be reconciled with him, we need to be seen in his sight as being perfectly righteous. So let's look again at tonight's signature text, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, this is the word of God, says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. And, and we've already discussed what that is. That is our sins being imputed to Christ, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we've already discussed the intense reality that our sins were imputed to Christ on the cross, but now I want to focus your attention on the last part of that verse, so that, referring to Christ having given himself for us, in him we might become the righteousness of God. Well, what does it mean for us to become the righteousness of God? Well, in the same way that our sin was imputed to Christ, what this verse is saying is that Christ's righteousness is imputed to us when we are saved. Jesus Christ lived a perfectly obedient, sinless human life in order to fulfill God's standard of righteousness, God's standard of goodness, which as you remember is, is perfection. Jesus himself said, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And Christ actually lived up to that standard. And his having done that means that by means of our faith in him, we can have Christ's righteousness imputed, that means credited to, credited to our account, given to us, so that we are seen before God as being perfect in his sight. And therefore, we are made right with him and accepted by him and enter into the glories of his grace for all of eternity. This, this is so important because faith, as I have said, is not the grounds of our righteousness, but rather it is the means by which we receive our righteousness. Salvation is truly all a work of God, not, not a work of us at all. Christ not only died in our place, he also lived in our place. We have nothing to boast about. We have everything to praise him for. Oh, I pray that by the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit would keep this truth, this glorious truth, fresh in our minds and, and new in our hearts, that every day we reflect on our salvation in awesome wonder, realizing that we do not deserve any of the glorious blessings of God, which by his will he's chosen to give to us, that we have been saved thanks to his infinite, undying grace, mercy, and love. We, sinful men and women, have been imputed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ so that we are senior justus et peccator. Now that, that's a Latin phrase coined by Martin Luther, which means 
simultaneously, that is, at the same time, justified and sinner. And so, Christian, you need to rest in the fact that even though you still struggle with sin, and you're not perfect, and it's a daily battle, and you fail all the time, and you sometimes can't comprehend why your flesh continues to win these battles, you need to remember that if you are in Christ, you, right now, at this very moment, are seen by God as being righteous, because the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to you. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation whatsoever at any time for the rest of your existence, for all of eternity. So when you feel down and life gets discouraging and bad things keep happening and and waking up seems to get harder every day and you feel that it is a struggle to just get by, you need to console yourself with the love of God. Pray that the Spirit would bring to your mind the remembrance of what God has done for you. That he has taken your sin and he has laid it upon Christ and Christ's righteousness has been credited to you so that you are simultaneously justified and sinner. This is what Martin Luther called the great exchange. And it is a glorious reality. Now, if you're wondering why I've been continuously quoting or making reference to Luther, it is because it is Reformation Month, and I want to pay homage to a great saint who is used by God in such a mighty way. And here's the thing we need to understand about men like Luther and the Reformation. You see, those of us who have been born and raised in evangelical Protestant churches, whether you're a Baptist or a Methodist or a Presbyterian or you know, whatever your background is, we can sometimes take for granted certain things like the fact that we all have Bibles. I mean, this morning I was reading the Bible on my phone. Anywhere, at any time of day, any part of the week, you have the Word of God with you. Translated, in a language that you can read and understand. You you need to remember that that just did not fall out of the sky, that there were, uh, and and I won't go too long in this, but there were men like Tyndale and other reformers who gave their lives so that we can have gifts like this. And so, connecting back to this doctrine of imputed righteousness, justification by faith, and things like that, you need to remember that when Martin Luther was reading the book of Romans, translating it from Greek uh, into German, into his own language that he could understand, and when he discovered in the word of God the reality that men and women are made right with God by means of our faith, this was a truth, which is true not because Luther said it, true because God said it, but this is a truth that was lost that the Roman Catholic Church had tucked away, had swept under the rug so that they could maintain their power, greed, and control. But now, I'm proclaiming this to you, and there's, I don't think, anyone outside waiting to hang me as they would have if I was preaching in the 16th century. So we, we, we really need to thank God for the men for men like Luther that he's raised up so that uh, these truths of justification by faith alone would be brought back to the center stage of the church. 
Because as Luther himself said, it is the article by which the church stands or falls. And so uh, I will close our study on imputation with some words that Luther himself wrote about. Um, because really I think he expressed it much better than I ever could. And, and so I will quote, Who can even begin to appreciate what this royal marriage means? Who can comprehend the riches of this glorious grace? Christ, the rich and divine bridegroom, marries this poor, wicked whore, redeems her from all of her evil, and adorns her with all of his goodness. It is now impossible for her sins to destroy her, for they are laid on Christ and swallowed up by him. She has her righteousness in Christ, her husband, which she now can boast is her very own. She can set this righteousness over against all of her sins and in the face of death and hell say with confidence, if I have sinned, nevertheless, the one in whom I trust, my Christ, has not sinned. Through our marriage, all that is his is mine and all that is mine is his. Well, that is where we will close our study for tonight. I want to thank you for the opportunity to come before you and, and, and talk about these things with you. And Brother Bill is going to come and close us in prayer. Thank you. Wasn't that a great message?